Hello and welcome. I'm Herman Stewart and you are listening to Finding Your Path, the podcast where you will hear from our guests on how they found their paths in life, family and their careers. Today, we'll be spending time with Annette Brown, who's the IT manager at Millbank and the CTO of the Social Mobility Business Partnership. During this talk, Annette had so much to share about her career journey, upbringing and challenges she has had to overcome. This is good, so let's dive in. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Finding Your Path, the podcast where I speak to leaders, achievers and celebrities around how they found their paths in life and success. And today I've got a great guest for you. She is the Chief Technology Officer of the Social Mobility Business Partnership. She's the founding director, founding executive advisor of Positive Transformation Initiative and also the IT manager of Millbank Law Firm. And we have got Annette Brown with us today. Annette, how are you today? Hello, Herman. I'm very well, thank you. I know that we are in for a great chat. As I said, even before our talk, I know that you are a quiet storm and I know you're going to have a lot to share with us around your story and just how you got to where you got to in life and where you're going, because I could see you're going new places as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am. It's been a, a journey and an interesting one, I have to say. And you know something, the interesting journeys are the ones that have a special place in my heart and the audience of finding your path. So before we even start, I mean, I know that you are a mother. I know that you're a grandmother. I know that you are an IT manager. I know that you are a leader in IT. You are so many different things to many different people. But when you think of Annette Brown, who do you see yourself to be? Um. Not so much the technologist, actually. I, I see myself as more of the, the the mother, the grandmother, the 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 kind of nurturer um, of of all of the relationships that I'm in. And so, when you say not the technologist, is that is that something that you aimed for, or is that something that you've you know you've transitioned and become along your journey? Yeah, it was it was never really top of my list to, to be I always like technology but it, I never set out to to be a leader of anything and certainly not to manage people because I was felt I was just a, a team player mm. um so so yeah not not so much the, the leader that I think when people hear as you introduce me I think when people hear that they imagine some you know staunch passionate woman of technology <laughs> but that kind of isn't really where I see myself don't I yeah and and I think that's very interesting that you've said that because you're you're being honestly shared that you never really aspired to be a leader you weren't working towards becoming one but you are a leader in in quite an established um, law firm and you have a great reputation for what you do and so forth so how do you feel that you you never aimed to be a leader but you are a leader in a substantive substantive role how do you feel that that happened I think it came organically through my my personality just the way I interact with people mm. um, and I think technology is is quite an interesting um, profession because some people look at themselves as great technologists you know they, they love technology it, it's part of their role that, that they you know they want to know everything about it and then you have people that do very powerful jobs that know very little about technology really not interested in it doesn't it doesn't make their their role complete to understand the technology and so when they have issues and people like me can step in and talk to them on a on a just a, a, a level that they understand I think mm. that comfort brings um trust if mm. I'm honest I think people trust me to be honest with them about what they're trying to do I'm not trying to sell them a technology you know in the workplace I just want to help them do their job and and I think that's the difference that's how I grew into the role because I wasn't looking to to be the best mm. 
Oh, I, I think what you just said is so important. And I feel that that is a, a really strong trait of leadership. You spoke about trust, that people trust you. And trust is something that will help someone to excel or to be given different opportunities and to grow within their career. I mean, so trust is one of the things that you have developed or gained from, from many people that you work with. What are some of the other attributes or qualities that you say that, that you have as a person? Honesty. I think I'm very honest, sometimes to my detriment. Um, <laughs> I'm always the one at the manager meeting that will say what everyone else is thinking. Um, unfortunately, as much as I loved my mum, I have to thank her for that trait because she was very outspoken. Mm. Um, and having six children, I guess she had to say what was on her mind at any given time and and okay. I, I found that okay. that I kind of do the same even though I sometimes don't don't want to I say it before I think about it and that's mm. not always good but um yeah it's it's something that I've done I can always remember my old um boss Michael Marks when I worked at Heron saying you know think about what you're gonna say think about what you're gonna write before you do it because it's really important because I'm quite impulsive and and that kind of Honest knee-jerk reaction isn't always uh, a good thing. So, I mean, even though you're saying that, it's clear that you must have done well by doing that. Um, and it's helped you to become a trusted advisor, a trusted person within the team. Um, why would you say it's important that, you know, you share what you think instead of just thinking it? Because there are there are a lot of people usually around the table that don't say what they think, but to you, you feel that like it's important. Why would you say that that's something that's important to you? Um, I think because I have to be true to what I think. I have mm. to be true to myself and my own um, standards. So sometimes for me, it, it's about doing the right thing. I'm, I'm a very, I like everything equal. And, and maybe that is because being the youngest of six, you know, it, everything had to be on a on a fair level. You know, we were, everything was shared out equally, and we always, you know, there was no, you know, leader of us. We were all just a group, and um, I think that's kind of been my own way through life. Is is fairness? I like I like things to be fair, and mm. I think that's why when I speak out, it's normally it's the voice of, you know, so I find there's an injustice somewhere, and it, it's not good. That's why I speak out mostly. Yeah, so it's 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 conviction and and a moral imperative. So, hmm. what are some of the qualities that you have? I mean, you said honesty. You know, you're outspoken when necessary. Is there anything else there that that would be valuable for us to know? sure really I think I think that's mostly it is just the you know people can trust me and I'm honest with them so if they come to me if even if it's not what they want to hear I'll give them my honest opinion about what I think that's mm -hmm. not always you know I'm not saying I'm the, the the person that can make or break things for other people but certainly for me I think just that honest openness is is, is just yeah. me really yes and and it's it's clear that you have done really well to be to be where you are, and I know that you've got a number of different roles, which are all roles that require trust. And I know the people that work with you trust you. You know they highly regard you, and they speak well of you as well. And so, so being who you are is you know it's important because. There's only one in it, and it's being it. Be that person. What What are some of the achievements that you've achieved along the way, and some of the things that have really shaped you to become who you are? Oh, I think I think um, for me, doing my degree later in life um, certainly defined a lot about my stamina to do a full time job with two young children. Um, also, my mother was very sick towards the end, um, and unfortunately, she passed before I 
I got my degree. Um, I think that definitely shaped a lot of of my later life. My early life, I think, was fairly well mapped out. I worked, you know, for Gerald Ronson and Heron, and I did that until I had my first, my son. Mm. Um, And and that that life was pretty mapped out, and I was happy doing that, but... But once I left that role and I, I, I lost kind of who I was at that point, I then become a mother and life became very difficult mm. um, and financially very difficult as well. And, and for me, my only way out was through education and mm. trying to do better for myself. And, and that led to my degree and, and where I am today. So, yeah, stamina. Mm. <laughs> I, th- I think you said something very very um interesting you said that you felt that you lost yourself and in what order did that come because i know sometimes when um people become parents especially mothers what i've i've heard is that they they uh, sometimes lose themselves or um they're developing a new identity you know they've got a new responsibility and it's almost like there's a transition from one um identity to another um but but was it after motherhood that you felt that you lost yourself, or was it when you lost your role? Which one? Which what order was it in? I think I think probably after I became a mother, because you know the role kind of ended when I became a mother, and I realised very quickly that it's actually quite a thankless task being a mother. And sorry to all the mums out there that love it. I, I loved it. I loved being a mum, but it's. Mm. You know, as, as we were talking about just generally earlier, it, it's one of those jobs where you, you're always last in the queue, you're last to be fed, you're last for everything. And having had a, a role where I was very integral to, you know, a business running and it was an interesting mm. job to, to find that all of that had gone. Mm. And I now was this, you know, person who was responsible for somebody else. Mm. Um, but just not having that same... I know it's not. It's, there's no, there's no real sort of buzz. It's not like when you've been working in a in a in a role where you've enjoyed it and it's been lively. You you then come back. So I was a bit lost then because I was like, mm. where do I go now? I've got this person, and mm. how can I move on from from this? And it is it's a it's a quite a daunting experience. I think for me, I, it felt mm. like that. Um, I mean, I mean, just kind of going back. And reflecting on some of the conversation we had earlier, I mean, definitely for me, I feel um, mums are amazing. I feel that that mothers a lot of times don't get the credit that they deserve. Yeah. And you know, when you just said it's a thankless job, it just it just felt like a gutting, you know, like oh, um, and just kind of what to know is is do you feel that that's because? Um, it, it just goes with the territory that that a lot of times a mother would be selfless, like you were saying before, and putting others before them. Or is it that sometimes us as men are not as appreciative as we should be, or we 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 take we take for granted our wives, or take for granted those that are our mothers? What would you say? Would you say it's a mix? Would you say I know it's a broad <laughs> statement? Broad yes. You know, you can't speak for all motherhood. But no, 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 no. I, I'll have I'll have all the mums out in the street with forks trying to burn me. Um, no, I, I didn't mean that at all. I'm, I'm, I I kind of meant that for me, it, mm. it felt like the person I had been had yeah. got lost somewhere. And I think that if you've, you know, it, it, a lot of my friends didn't work. You know, they left school and they 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 become mums very young, and they they they, they seem to kin themselves very well to the role and you know from the outside they always looked very you know ecstatically happy as mums and and it's not to say I wasn't but I if I'm honest I just felt lost and I think that's something that maybe some of the my friends mums didn't admit to um yeah. But I wasn't the person I was before I had children. And as I said to you, you know, before we were talking, I see myself as a mother, a grandmother. I love that role. I love being that nurturing person and, mm. and making the bond and the relationships. But at that time, looking back, at, you know, I was 30 years old. I'd had a really good job and that all ended and I become a mum. And then I was thinking, now where? And financially, you know, mm. things weren't great. And so... 
that that was yeah that's how I felt at the time yeah that was a part of the process and I, I mean I mean well, there's, there's there's two angles to this as well because I mean I just feel there is no there's no bigger role than being a mum you know no. there's no bigger job like in a sense of being responsible for a life, for the development of a life, development of a personality and preparing a child to become an adult, to contribute to to the world and to, to be able to have a healthy life. I feel that's a massive, a massive role, you know. And at the same time, it's recognising that um, even as a mum and it's a big role and it's a massive thing to do, there's different facets as a person, just so yeah. you're thinking about, you know, like before being a mum, you really enjoyed that facets of your life. You really enjoyed probably the, the responsibility, the fast paced, you know, the, the significance of your contribution and that aspect probably closed down and, and, you know, the other one opened up, being a mother opened up. But at the same time, there was just the missing of, some of the other aspects. So so I, I do get that. And I don't think it has to be either or, to tell the truth. You can be a mother and work. And I believe that that's the reality, you know, and can do all the different things that you need to do. Um, just like for myself, I'm a father, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a son, I'm a, you know, I'm lots of different things. Yeah. And, and and I believe it's... it's, it's yeah. And I went, and I went on to, to do that. But at that, that, that moment in time when you know, my, my career had kind of finished as it, as it was. Mm. Um, and, and I had that, that time before I, I went back into full-time employment. Mm. You know, I, I started my own training company. I did some bits. It, I just was, I, if, you know, there was just that, that time of kind of uncertainty around lots mm. of things and finances, career, and, you know, and, and it took, and it wasn't really until I started my degree that I really started to focus back on me. And, and, and that's, I think, for me then was when I realised, actually, I can have a family and I can have a career mm. and I can manage them both. But I think when you're sitting there, when you feel a little lost, the thought of that is quite daunting. Mm. And making that step, that first step, when I started the foundation mm. and I passed that first that first milestone was just amazing because mm. you know my children were fit and well and happy and we were happy and I passed my foundation and and so that that for me was the, the starting point that was the the first step mm. towards you know making a difference to our lives mm. and, and that's really big um just, you, you know just finding that as it says it's, it's finding your groove and isn't it it's yeah. like we 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 all have things mapped out sometimes or we we've got a path and we think that that's the path and we can see that this is what I want to do all the time. And then something changes and then, you know, you can be um, just in a, in a crossroads or you can just be, you know, not sure of the future, not sure of where you're going. And I feel that even like where we are now in society, a lot of people are probably feeling this very thing now in a sense of a lot of things are changing and, 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 and things are becoming something else. But it's about how do we develop yeah. ourselves also, along the way. Carry on. And Sorry, and also as well, at that time, so when I lost my dad when I was 16 weeks pregnant, so I lost the most important male figure in my life when I was expecting my first child. And then... My husband was made redundant <laughs> during my pregnancy as well. So, so when I had my when I had my my son Sam, my whole world had turned upside down. So not only was I not the person I was doing when I was working, I'd also lost, you know, one of the most influential men in my life. Then to be financially have the rug pulled from you as well was just a whole combination of all of those things. I think that mm. that contributed to to that feeling of you know mm. now what <laughs> now now where do I go? It's um yeah it, it, it was a challenging time, but but you know it it I think moulded the rest of that path mm. a bit. I mean, what what you're saying it, it really you know sometimes. When, We've all got a story, <laughs> you know, and sometimes we don't rehearse it, you know, um, or sometimes we don't think about it because what 
what we're dealing with is is like what is right in front of us now. You know, what is right in front of us now a lot of times has a lot of demand on our attention, especially if we're growing and we're progressing and especially if we're in leadership because we're not only responsible for ourselves, we're responsible for others and accountable for results. Yeah. But when I listen to your story, I'm 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 hearing all these different things like, you know, resilience, you know, <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, this I told you a quiet story before, and and I feel, um, you know, when going through the death of your father, and I think what you just said was very powerful, because you says that you lost your dad, who, who was you know the most influential, you know, man in your life, you know, and I feel for you to recognize that that must have been very impactful, because a lot of times, it, as sad as it is, a lot of daughters. And sons don't really have access to their dads or their dads are not around or they don't make that kind of contribution that you're talking about. You know, mm -hmm. so to go through that in such a moment that you're proud of as well, that would have been very difficult, I can imagine. Mm. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was a, it, it, it's not until you reflect on that. And, and, and it was funny when, you know, just even opening up the story now and when I look back... I, I can remember that feeling and and but but then on the other side of that coin is is that first you know success from a foundation mm -hmm. you know seeing that pass mark and and thinking overcoming all of those things and yeah I guess it is resilience but it's also a little bit of determination and mm -hmm. you know that that that's what I would go back today and say to anybody that's starting a journey and not sure what they want to do, take the chance. If you don't, I always said to myself, if I fail, I'll stop. If I fail any of the modules, I'll stop. And I never did. But then I wondered why I used to say that to myself. Mm. If I fail, why wouldn't I want to carry on and prove to myself? So I'm, I'm not sure if that was a very good mantra, but that used to be my mantra. Um, but it's a great feeling when you do succeed. Mm. It sounds like, and you know, it may not be, but it sounds like there could have been a potential that doing a degree was a big step for you, and you know, you probably needed to g yourself up to do it. So, by giving <laughs> yourself a few caveats to say, I could stop. It sounds like okay, it might not be that long, you know, <laughs> and then you just, <laughs> you're just carrying on and just completing it. But it, it, it does sound, it does sound like that could have been a part of it. I don't know because I don't know how how you you went about doing your degree. But one of the questions that did come to mind was, you, you know, you've you've brought you brought to the forefront that you you done your degree later in life. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, when you was at school and leaving school and college and so forth, um, if you went to college, like, did you have an aspiration to do a degree then? Or was, was it just when you was later in life? That's when this aspiration came, came about? No, I mean, I, 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 when I was younger, all my sisters were hairdressers. My brother was a sculptor. They were, they were all very um, arty and crafty, and I, I just wasn't. Um, I was always more academic. And I wanted, right back in the day, I wanted to be in the Wrens and I wanted to be a barrister and I had all these aspirations to be all these wonderful things. Mm. Um, but we had no money. So so <laughs> I was the youngest of six. It was, you know, and, and in those days, going back that far, um, you know, I was in school in the, the 70s. That there wasn't anything more than hairdressers or secretaries for girls to really do. And, and careers advice was really poor and they never gave you any aspirations to want to be, you know. When I said to the careers officer I wanted to be in the oh, you have to get up at five o'clock in the morning, you don't want to do that. And kind of literally crossed it off the list as if it wasn't anything I could do. Mm. And so I did go to college and, and I did, I actually started a hairdressing apprentice and hated it and went to college because that was the only other option. Mm. And I, I would have loved to have gone to university, but mm. just it wasn't an option because mm. there was no money. And so it was college and, and work. So I was straight into work at 18. Okay. And, and I mean, I mean, there's, there's so many different things that, that can be said, 
I'm just kind of thinking about something you said earlier in the conversation as well, because I thought he's a, a bit of a dark horse. I never knew he was an entrepreneur in the sense of you started your old training company. <laughs> <laughs> I did, yes, in 1991, Yeah, I started a, a training company with a friend of mine. Um, mm. We did, yeah, we trained for the Ministry of Defence and we trained for Wix, the... Wow. Um, yeah, so we did some work, but then she she um, married an actuary, so she went on to have a very wealthy life, and I couldn't manage. Only had the children were only young, and so I had to um, kind of call it a day. And and that's how I got into legal because at the time we were doing some training for Melvin and Myers, and they mm-hmm. asked me to um, do some work for them of a night time mm-hmm. doing their evening document production, which I did, and that's when I started my degree. So I studied during the day, and I worked night Mm. long journey wow what a story of determination of creativity and of discovering you know where you want to go as well I mean training you know people from the Ministry of Defence that that weren't no small gig you know it wasn't at the time no it wasn't quite interesting so so wow I mean just so so I, I guess you know sometimes like our our experiences give us the the qualities that we need or give us the insight that we need to do the things that we are now doing. But sometimes we probably won't link it. So you're working with a lot of entrepreneurs now, you're working with a lot of organizations and you're in different roles as a leader and giving insights and advice. So I, I see that all these different things that you've done, they're all marrying together, you know, and it's it's so powerful to hear this story but I feel that we're at a perfect time right now to go into our break because that's the first half of the finding your path um recording with you and it and I feel that it's a good time for people to be able to go and have a break to be able to go and get water to let the dog out if they need to go and let the dog out you know <laughs> and we'll be back soon to take a deep dive into looking at the work that you do and looking a bit more into your story and and just to get some more gems from you. So thank you so much for what you've shared already. Thank you. And we'll be back soon. Welcome, welcome to part two of Finding Your Path. Today I'm with Annette Brown and we've been having such an interesting conversation. And even in the break, we was even having an interesting conversation. I feel what you were sharing, Annette, and we don't need to go into all of it, but I just feel it was such an important thing that you shared around, you know, what can divide some people that advance and some people that probably don't achieve as much results as they would like. And, you know, just the hard work and work ethic and making those kind of sacrifices that's needed. I just feel that they're so valuable because the reality of it is we can look at what we would like or look at um, where we'd like to be in life. But are we prepared to do the work 
that's required. And I would just like to give you the opportunity to share a bit more about that, but also sharing a bit about just what does your work look like? You know, what does a work day look like? What does it look like when you're preparing for your work as well? So if you could give us an insight into the reality of what you do, that would be great. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, going back to the, the kind of divide between success and, you know, not such great success, you definitely, you know, I I found that it's relentless, it, it's hard work, you have to be determined, you have to be prepared to feel, you know, some days exhausted, which, you know, goes with the territory. But, but a normal working day for me would be, you know, a five o'clock start and, not so much now we're at home with um, COVID, but, you know, over the last sort of 20 years, it's been a very early start in the morning and, and often late nights, you know, there, there's, especially at Millbank with a, a New York-centred head office, you know, late calls. And then, you know, waking up in the night thinking of all the things that need doing and making notes at two or three in the morning because, you know, you can't forget things. So, so there's a lot of, it, it does take hard work and I think you don't ever really switch off and, and you have to be prepared for that. And I think that's one thing that people aren't always prepared for is that that constant demand for, for your time and your thoughts, really. And, and And I feel that that is so true in a sense of, people don't really know what it takes a lot of times. I, I I guess even when you're in your own role, you don't always know what it takes to go to the next level because you're always searching on how can I perform or how can I improve or you're trying to find solutions. So even along your own path, in your own vocation, doing the work that you do, you don't always know what it takes to go to the next level. And, and that's what, you know, we were speaking about earlier. There does need to be some lucky breaks at times or people recognizing the work you do. But the reality of it is it takes becoming that person and doing what is necessary to be able to get those lucky breaks and to get those opportunities. So when we're thinking about your work, so you see you've got like a five o'clock start, you know, probably it's a bit different now in COVID, but what kind of things would you be doing? What kind of, you know, um, if you think about the people that you're leading, the things you're doing, what are you facilitating? What's your role? If you could give me a feel of that, that would be really good as well. Yeah, I mean, we, if, if for me, um, I have quite a small team. So it's making sure that we communicate well about issues that we have, new technologies that are coming our way, that that's, you know, it's an ever-moving cycle of new technology and, you know, training and, and deployment. And, and that kind of cycle moves all the time. So preparing for that takes quite a lot of planning. And when we have office moves, you know, just internally, just moving a person and a few desks can can take a lot of planning. And I think the the art is in the detail and, and understanding how much you need to do and not just thinking, you know, for my team, I, I've tried to, to tell them about what's involved in, in any steps that we take to do anything they have to understand that the planning is the key to success in in what we do and so you know we can spend a lot of time doing that so so my days can be you know planning out time resources we have to put a a cost to most of that as well for the business you know I have to keep budgets and stuff so there's a lot lot of integral parts and it's quite you know quite involved it's not just putting a laptop on a desk and you know plugging somebody in it, it sounds quite straightforward but the, the reality around that is is far far from that and and how would you say that covid has impacted your your work has it impacted it significantly just like everyone or because you was doing a lot of it you were already ahead of the curve concerning things becoming much more digital during this time? Yeah, we were quite fortunate because we, in our London office, made the decision some time ago to give everybody laptops. And that that really was driven around the fact that it isn't a straightforward process of moving somebody to a different desk. Um, because we had, you know, we had the, the old 
towers and you know have to move them around whereas with the laptops really people can move around more freely you just have to make sure the screens are there to set them up so so the thought process was that we would get everybody laptops because we can move them around quicker with hindsight it was the best move we made because when we went into lockdown everybody already had laptops even you know the support staff that wouldn't normally get laptops in organizations and and Many of my peers were in that position where their their support staff didn't have them. We were fortunate enough that we did. So, so whilst we still had an element of you know getting everybody mobile, we we were kind of halfway there already. So so we were a little bit ahead of the curve, which was which was great. So mm-hmm. kind. And I mean, being a leader and and being someone that is um, instrumental in planning, instrumental in developing strategy you know, planning out resources, budgets, looking at the industry, looking at all the new things that are coming in with technology. How would you say that COVID has changed the game? And do you see that things will return close to what they were before? Or do you see that things are transpiring into something very different? What are your thoughts on the whole situation? I I think it's a very mixed bag. I I think that we didn't account for how much we relied on things like our home internet connections. And, you know, as I said to somebody the other day, I've gone from managing three offices to managing 260 because everybody's got their own internet connection now and they're all external networks. And so it's a very different process. But I think those that, and and legal is is very different as a, as a, as a profession because it's very client driven. And I, I, I can't see all of, all law firms going back to to the office because I think those that have already made those decisions have already put their cards on the table and said, you know, we're downsizing our real estate. But I think a lot will return eventually back to normal because we're client-driven and and clients need to know that we're there, we have nice offices, we entertain. You know, it's it's a very different... Um, to, to banking and insurance, a lot of insurance companies have a lot of um, you know field workers already. So I think for for some some of the um, professions it will be different. But I, I think for us it will be you know I think the legal sector will be less likely to to work from home. Mm. That's my opinion. That's your opinion. And I think what you just said was so important because you you know you says that um, within your industry is very and client focused and so I guess it's people focused it's all around all this you know these elements and you know one of the things that you expressed also is around that you learned very early on that networking was key and could you share a bit more about that and and how how do you see networking um being important networking as in networking with people <laughs> with people yeah with people because he says that um yes it is key I mean I, I I've I, I didn't have much time for networking early on uh, if I'm honest because mm. the job was so involved and I couldn't take a day out here and there but as I as I as I grew my network certainly in within the the legal sector you find that in technology whilst whilst lawyers kind of head to head because they're they're opposing for different clients it's very different with technology and I attend lots of legal technology events where law firms share what they're doing um, mm-hmm. around technology whereas you find that lawyers tend not to you know they have they have their clients and they have people that they talk to but it's a very it's a very different experience with in legal technology and it's a very um open platform for people to share what we do we're we're very open about how we're using technology which is great um and so for, for me that that's been key to really you know if I'm unsure about anything or what Millbank are planning to do I've got a a quite a strong network that I could turn to and ask and just say you know what do you think about this and that's really powerful actually that's a really good um I I think there's nothing like legal technology Mm. yeah and and looking at your your network 
I can understand why you're saying what you're saying and and being involved in the different opportunities because I guess that's a part of the networking that you are then um, plugged into different opportunities because I know that you are the chief technology officer. Um, working, yes. So, so, so and you're doing. Do you want to talk a bit about that work and what you do? Yeah, I mean that that came about again through chance really it was a, it was a meeting that somebody you know set up to me to, to, to meet Barry Matthews and I met Barry and we you know very quickly spoke about you know the challenges they were having and he kind of threw me into being a cluster head because they needed one in London and I, I loved the whole concept of what he was doing and the way it was working and the fact that the, the business partners you know didn't have to give up more than a day of their time to be able to make such a difference to all these young people who, you know, were getting an opportunity to get some work experience. So the, I liked the idea of what he was doing. And, and so, so running that cluster initially, I realised that they were very paper heavy. You know, there were lots of forms and, you know, how are we going to get the forms to the students? And so um, I also met um, Mike from Fliplet at, at um, Glen Eagles when I was at a technology event there and, and we'd already spoken about the sort of platform for the app mm. and he agreed or Flipflip agreed to to help the social mobility business partnership put that together and at the time it was really just to stop all the forms flying around and you know putting things into a digital format and mm. that then when COVID hit expanded out into you know, being able to run the whole program from the app, um, which was amazing. So, you know, we had the girls um, putting together the the app. You know, helping. It was it was just amazing. I mean, Jade worked tirelessly doing it. It's just it was just amazing. It was it was really uh, yeah. It was an experience to to be part of putting that together to be able to deliver that to so many. Um, students it was amazing that's really good and and I'm listening to your story now and seeing all of the different things that you're doing operating at a really strategic level with a lot of different leaders and it's almost like when you you have a flashback it's as like at the start you said you weren't intending or aspiring to be a leader you know you have ended up a leader in a in a number of settings you know in a number of groups with a, a number of people so you're not just a leader in one in one organization or one environment but you're you're a leader across a number of environments and what I wanted to know is what was your story you know so going back how did you you know, start your journey, you know, when you was at school, what did you want to do? How, how was your experience as a young person? It, it'd be great to get a bit more insight concerning that backstory. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think because I was always, I was always overweight. I was always, I always struggled with my weight. I was kind of bullied for, for being overweight as a young kid. And in those days, there wasn't really much in the way of support. And so, I found early on that I could win people over by making them laugh. Mm. That was the first thing that, you know, but once you you won people over with your personality, mm. they almost protected me from the people that didn't know me and once they got to know me. And then that that all changed, obviously, as I, as I grew older. Mm. Um, but I, I think that, people and going back to what I said before about fairness you know it's, it's all about being fair and seeing things on a level playing field and I think that that's been a driver for me right the way through and and you know going back to the charity it's it's why shouldn't these children just because they're less fortunate or their parents don't do jobs like I do mean they don't have an opportunity to get at least a look into what could potentially be a life-changing experience for them because if they do have that drive and they do have that energy and they do have the intelligence to get them you know or they're not intelligence but you know they've got they've got the drive and ambition then they they can learn to do anything and and everyone should have that so you know that that's kind of really me Mm. and and I think 
it's, I mean, the reality of it is, you know, going back to your school school days and talking about, you know, um, bullying. I, I mean, a lot of us have experienced bullying mm-hmm. or name calling, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, something that we couldn't help, you know, um, has, been, has been pointed out. And I know that that does impact a lot of our self-esteem, you know, and, it, and to tell the truth, a lot of the adults that I speak to now, um, a lot of their confidence or their self-esteem or, you know, how they view themselves has been impacted from the days of their childhood. And some people probably don't aspire or they don't they don't take as much risks um, because their, you know, their sense of self is, is fragile, you know, and they probably, they can't handle, yeah. you know, um, having negative, negative um, ridicule or anything coming to them now. But it's clear that you have, really battled through that because I know that that would have impacted you you know and how you felt because it wasn't something that you could help you know um, at that point but how did you overcome some of those um, more challenging times that probably everyone never knew what you was going through? Yeah I think you you really have to dig deep you have to really look at yourself and think can I do this and you know, there's been many a time when, even early days at Millbank, when I'd be called into a meeting room because something wouldn't work on someone's phone. And, you know, I'd stand outside that room and I can still feel that feeling of, of anxiety, walking into a room thinking everyone's going to be looking at me, what they're going to think about me, and, and trying to overcome those feelings are are difficult. Um, but, but, as, but as you... you get more involved with, you know, things like the charity and 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 Millbank's grown, you know, quite considerably over the last few years. And and when you're dealing with more people on a daily basis, you, you don't really have time to have those thoughts anymore. I think you get I can't explain it. You you get to a level where actually do you do you really care what people think of you? Because you you realise that you can make a difference to, you know, if I'd have stood outside that room and thought, I'm the only person that can get this person on the Wi-Fi, I should have actually thought, way well, good for me, right? Instead mm. of thinking, oh, my God, they're all going to be looking at me, mm. I should have confidence to go in and say, well, I can make this better and, and be the saviour. But you get to a point where you do start to feel that feeling more than you feel the insecurity. And, and, and it's just mm. having that you, you do have to dig deep and you do have to try and overcome it. And I think for me, deep breath, you know, stand up straight, big smile, walk in the room, and mm. and that that kind of you overcome. They mm. don't see somebody timid walking into a room who looks scared, and I think that's you just mm. have to be a bit of an actor, really. I think to <laughs> 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 put on a bit of a show, so make <laughs> confident where deep down you're actually crumbling inside. You really love it. I feel that this links so much to because I mean I I interviewed Dr. Catherine McGregor recently and and she was talking about the same thing about being able to go into the zone whether it's think you know think of you know Michelle Obama or whoever think of someone else that you you, you know that you probably look up to or a role model and think about how would they deal with this situation or how would they overcome it so so she, like what she was sharing was about. And role playing, you know. So when you say like you know, be a bit of an actor, I'm like just seeing the link between both of them. And have you heard Dan talk about the imposter syndrome? You know, he kind of he talks about it a lot, where he's standing up in front of a crowd of people and he's like, "Why am I here?" And it is like, "I'm an imposter. I shouldn't be here." And it is an element of that. And I, and I guess that you really have to over, try and overcome that. Otherwise, you would never walk into a room with people and stand up and, and speak. But, it, it, you know, that, that's another challenge, right? You could be the best person at anything, but if you haven't got the confidence to, to stand up and be counted, then that's tricky too. But would, would you say something around... Um, what's within you because you said you know you have to dig deep but when you're digging deep you're digging deep to encounter a strength or reservoir of what's inside you know and I think just listening to what you're sharing is it 
that inside there's there's a sense of being a victor. There's a, there's a sense of not saying I'm a victim. I'm not going to stay where I used to be and I'm going to progress because I'm feeling, from listening to what you're sharing, I'm glad that you went into that room and, and, and you continue to go into those rooms and you continue going beyond your comfort zone because the reality of it is if you wasn't in a lot of circles or settings or environments and helping others, a lot less people would be supported. So even when you're speaking about the work with the charity, that's one thing that I can say. And even just the facts that you're progressing through Millbank, and I know that you are highly valuable um within PTI as well for all that you do. So I, I feel it sounds like there was a fighter in you anyway, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and and there wasn't an option of, of you not going going beyond, you know, um the limitations or or the anxiety that existed. Would you say that's true? Yeah, I think um I having had all my sisters be hairdressers and not wanting to take that path. I think right from a very early age, I, I knew I was different and mm. that I had something else to, to give. Mm. I didn't know what that was. And, and yeah, there is a fighter in me. If, and, and one of the things that, you know, any of the people in, 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 the, in my team will tell you, if I'm determined, I, if, if I've got something that I think is the right thing to do, I will keep going until I wear them down. <laughs> that's my that's my theory. My theory is that if I just keep telling them enough, it's the right thing to do. They'll believe me. Mm. And I, you know, it, it's that determination. Is that it's that inner strength that I think I've drawn on that that comes with you know having to dig deep. And, and in the end, it becomes normal. It's not so much digging deep anymore. It's almost like normality. And, and, you know, people that know me, that know me really well, know that I have a, a, a kind of a corporate exterior where I will be that determined person and, and think of all the, you know, like I'm saying, the planning, the, the, you know, the work hard, play hard thing. You know, I, I, if I've got work to do, it has to be done. I can't focus on anything else until what I've got to do is done. Mm. And then I can relax and then, you know, there is a softer side somewhere. Mm. <laughs> and then it out very often, Herman, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and there is well, one. Well, it's definitely clear that the softer side is very apparent. And <laughs> the softer side, I mean, just the things that you've been sharing earlier about... Um, about your, you know, your son, about, you know, um, your father passing away, what he meant to you. Mm. Um, you know, there's so many things that you've shared, you know, being there and caring for your mother, you know, um, and you probably was playing a really big part in that when you're one of six. And yeah. that's just showing your heart and showing that that soft side isn't just, it's not just a soft side, of aspiration it's a soft side that is transformed into action you know it's not like you you know you're just looking at the, the you know talking about the charity looking at all the paperwork and just thinking it is what it is you know you want to make a difference you want to do something you want to you know add value so I feel it's I don't think it's an either or I think it's it's being able to be what you need to be when you need to be it to yeah. get stuff done yeah yeah so, so so yeah um i mean it, i mean something came to my mind you, earlier you spoke about you wanted to join rens what, what is rens just in case you know because i don't know what it is what what is it oh it the, the rens is the female navy i don't oh. know why but i had this romantic idea that i would join the navy yes Ren, and and that's what they call them Ren. Actually, it must stand for something but i've yeah. got them but it was that I don't know why it just found it seemed such an amazing thing to do, but I don't know. I don't even know if I'd even like being on a ship if I wanted. <laughs> I just didn't want to be a hairdresser. <laughs> I mean, what it sounds. I mean, when you're saying that, and I realise what the Rens is now, and I just thought about your training company that you that you created, and you was working with the Ministry of Defence. I'm like. Look at all these dots connecting. Yeah, I know. It's crazy, isn't it? 
<laughs> you know, so you never went in that way, but then ended up going another way to support them. And you said that you were deterred by your um, your so-called careers um, officer. I, I feel what's powerful about that, because even though they may have deterred you from doing or, you know, they deterred you from some of the aspirations that you could have pursued, you never accepted the narrative and the box that they put you in. So you had a sense of direction as well. Yeah, I guess I just, yeah, I think I had this conversation with somebody recently about sort of careers advice in the 70s. And I think, I don't think that those people had ever had a career. I think that was their career. And I don't think they really knew much about anything outside of their own little bubbles. And so I guess there wasn't really... You know, if you look at some of the, the teachers that we have, you know, they, they, they don't work in the profession that they teach for. Mm. You know, it, it's, it's difficult. So, so I'm probably a bit harsh about our careers advice, but I don't think they were very well prepared in those days. There were, and there weren't that, the options that we had today. But yeah, no, I didn't listen. <laughs> that's, another, that's another trait people would say, I don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, I, I, well, I, <laughs> as long as you're not listening to the things you shouldn't be listening to, uh, <laughs> because I mean, as you said, you, you, you're compelled to share because of the sense of justice within you. So mm-hmm. sometimes you're probably not going to listen to a narrative if, if it doesn't provide fairness, you, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel listening to all the different things that you've shared and where you are now. I feel that it's such an interesting, such an interesting journey. You know, the fact that you you had a, a challenging upbringing, concerning school, and you know, a challenging experience with with fitting in. And but the fact that you never fit in, you know, you you know, you had to develop the skill or the the, the craft of being able to engage with people and develop relationships, mm-hmm. and. And then, as you said, as you've carried on through your career, it's the relationships and getting along with people that has helped you to get different opportunities. So I think that that's, that's really good. And the fact that, I mean, you wanted to do law as well. Yeah. Yeah, it was always an interest. With them. But, you know, it's just, it was, a, it was a rich man's profession and we definitely weren't rich. <laughs> but look, you've, you have ended up, influencing supporting encouraging being well connected in the legal profession now even though it's not as a barrister or <laughs> a lawyer or so forth you know so maybe that maybe that's worked out that's probably worked out for you because you said when you you, you ended up getting an opportunity to be at Millbank that yeah. that was your dream job yeah yeah and and it's really funny because having supported lawyers for many years I look at look at the profession and think they work really really hard they work really long hours and and you know sometimes that's a thankless job because you know it it, it's all on the client terms right they and you know you see people burn out at a young age in the profession because they do work hard it's you know there's no there's no denying that that it's a it's a tough profession so when I look at it now I look at it and I think maybe I had a lucky break you know maybe that maybe not being wealthy enough to put me through law school was the break I needed because you know it, it is tough I've, I've seen you know the people work really really hard and you know it's not all all laws are not like that I know but, but certainly you know in the corporate world I think it's a, a tough profession I'll take my hat off to them Mm. Wow, you have you've presented more than I even anticipated. <laughs> you, you know, like talking about your training company for you know and and, and serving Wicks and you know the Ministry of Defence. You know all these different kinds of things. The way that you've unravelled it, you know, designed to be in law, designed to be in the in 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 the in the female um, navy. Um, it's it's like you have really had a very interesting path, you know. And looking from where you are now, and looking at all that you've learnt now, you've gone through so much on so many levels, you know. 
had some, you know, personal tragedies as well, mm. being young, things that really impacted you. Um, what would you say now to your 21-year-old self, you know, if you was to able to speak to that person, have a conversation with them, have a conversation with yourself, what words of wisdom, what gems would you provide? I think definitely don't wait until you're in your late 30s. Go and do, go and do the degree. Get, have confidence to, to be the person you wanted to be then. Mm. You know, don't, don't wait until, you know, you're kind of backed into a corner. Um, but also, you know, I think learn to love yourself a bit more. I think that's been, you know, a challenge when, when you've been through some of the things early on that, that I went through I think you have to learn to go back and, and love yourself and I think that you know a, a friend of mine had some counselling for a marriage breakup and the, the counsellor said go back and write a letter to the 21 year old that mm. left his wife at that point and I think for me it would be go go back and just you know make peace with who you are and what you are and just not carry it around for so long mm. Wow. I feel that what you just shared is such a big, such a big gem in a sense of loving yourself. Um, because, because when we wait for others to love us and we don't learn to love ourselves, sometimes we may not receive that love and, and, and receive that love in a way that we need to give ourselves because we are with ourselves. We're hearing that voice. We're hearing the inner, inner dialogue. And if there isn't no love, if there isn't any love in that dialogue, that self-talk, mm. that is, that's a difficult place to be. And I feel that, you know, I've definitely experienced that where love hasn't been in that dialogue and it's been about performance and it's been about achievements and it's been about trying to be validated by doing things that are external. But a big, big turnaround for me is, is, has been realising that it doesn't matter all those things that you achieve. If you don't have that appreciation for yourself, you know, it's, you not, it's not great. Yeah, you need, you need that because if you don't have that, then it, everything else powers into insignificance because you'll never be happy. You have to, you have to do that. You have to go back and learn how to love the person you are because the rest of it then just organically happens because people will love you for who you are, not who you're trying to be. Mm. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. And <laughs> it, I am so glad we 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 done this i'm so glad that we spent time and that you was generous enough to share your journey um i mean if if anyone wanted to find out a bit more about who you are what you do or they wanted to connect what what would you advise um just shoot me a message on linkedin i'm on linkedin mm. they can just shoot me a message on there and i will i will respond if they're interested to know more about my journey or if I can help them in any way in any way mm. I want to say thank you so much you're welcome thank you it's been a pleasure you know you have done really well you know um, and you are such a generous um, big-hearted and conscientious um, person leader professional and there's a reason why you're loved by many people and respected and trusted is because the person on the inside is the real person, you know, and I just want to say thank you for, for going beyond the comfort zones and going beyond that narrative of what people would have tried to put, say to put you in a box and limit you, whether it's a career advisor, whether it's bullies, you know, whether it's different situation, whether it's that inner voice of probably, you know, in that time and not knowing exactly where to go and you had to reinvent yourself. I'm thankful that you did. And I know that your journey will be encouraging and inspiring to people that are listening. So continue doing what you're doing and well done. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you. And I'm apologies if I upset any of the mothers out there. Or... <laughs> I, I, I don't think, I don't, I don't think, I don't think you did. I feel um, some probably fe felt those sentiments as you said, you say what people think, but um, you're a mother and you're proud of it. You know, I am. So, I am. thank you. You know, so thank you. So I want to say thank you everyone for joining us. Um, I'm finding your path this week and I would say listen to what Annette shared implement take on board those wise gems and know that it's never too late to make a change never too late to chase your dreams and never too late to make that next step thank mm. you and thank you. yeah and, and looking forward to you all joining me again next week on finding your path take care